Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by new college graduate and co-host of the Not Alone podcast, Sam Fredrickson. Oh, my God. Sam, it's been so long, dude. I'm it, It's been way too long. Thank you for referring to me as a college graduate. It means literally the graduate. world to me. <laughs> You, dude, you are, you, you graduated college. You are, you're moving on up, dude. Thank you. Sky's the limit now. Now here's the problem. Now I can't go around making podcasts about aliens anymore because the two (laughs) worlds that I'm trying to straddle between biblical scholar and weirdo podcasting, they are not worlds that fit together very easily. (laughs) No. It can be done though. It can be done. And if there's anyone to do it, it's, it's me. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I I trust that you can do it. I mean, you got some you got some irons in the fire. You know, there's been some activity on Twitter. Uh, there, we've seen evidence of you and Jason texting about the podcast. There so, are there are uh, signs out there. Things are happening. Yeah. Yes, and you did change the name of your podcast, which uh, I think it definitely fits into a, a future episode that that you got down the pike here, but. Uh, uh yeah, dude. Uh, it's so great to have you on because we haven't we haven't done this since we talked about Ed Walters mm-hmm. and his uh crazy time in Gulf Breeze, Florida, with with the aliens and yeah, dude. Let me do ma- let me do yeah. a shout out really quick if that's okay. Some yeah. dude literally yesterday. Um, I was gonna try to find his name, but I won't. I think it was Luke. Uh, literally yesterday, Rob, I receive a message on my not alone uh, podcast Twitter account, which I almost never check except for when I'm feeling Randy. And then, (laughs) and then I'm like, let's say some shit about aliens. Um, So I go and I check the account and there's literally a message just sitting there from a dude named Luke. He sent it yesterday and he was like, Hey, remember when you guys did the Ed Walters show? I loved that. (laughs) You and Rob should do another show together. And I was like, Luke, guess what? It's tomorrow. So Luke, if you're listening to this, I love you. Thanks for the, thanks for tweeting at me or not tweeting at me. Thanks for the DM slid right in there. Yes. uh, I did also get a similar DM uh, and I do believe it was from Luke, but Luke, he's making it happen. He's putting us together. Yeah. What a hero. You made the magic happen right here, right now. Dude. All right. We're and we have a story today that is I would say it goes above and beyond anything I have ever covered on this podcast because if, and you know I'm I'm a guy that covers like these wild alien stories but you know with this one this is the wildest yes. story that I've ever heard but it also tugs on the heartstrings. It does. It really does. It really does. Yeah. And here's the thing guys, I read uh, six pages on this and Rob read 250 <laughs> at least probably closer to 300 I would guess um the six pages I read I was texting him I haven't felt this way about a case in forever man yeah. that I'm like reading this and like what the fuck if there is yes. even a single shred of corroborating evidence anywhere 
I am going to be sold out for this story until I die. So I am so excited <laughs> to hear about this. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll save the potential corroborating evidence for the end. Yes, yes. But, it's a real surprise uh, to both the listeners and me. I'm so excited. Yes. So this is the story of a girl who is visually impaired mm-hmm. befriending an alien human hybrid from Zeta Reticuli. That that's the easiest way that I can I can lay this out. Or uh, this is from the introduction of the book, which is called Rachel's Eyes. Uh, this is uh, from Doctor Richard Boylan. Uh, he puts it, "quote This is the true story of two girls determined not to let their physical handicaps stifle their dreams, striving to overcome the obstacles of being different. They serve as an inspiration to others who may find themselves in similar situations." I mean, yeah. yeah, technically, I guess that is what is yeah. happening here. Sure. So we, I'm going to put a couple of uh, content warnings at the front of this. There's going to be mentions of domestic violence because that does play a part in the story. And there's also kind of uh, for those who have um, experienced childhood sexual assault, there may be certain portions toward the end that might, uh, you know, um might give you pause. So if that is a concern, uh, you should definitely maybe give this episode a pass, but, um, uh, it's not, it's not heavy in this episode, but there are mentions of it. So the story begins with a phone call. And in 1994, Jean Billadeau was a field investigator from MUFON. She had just completed a series of interviews for an article in this local paper. Uh, in California, when she heard a voice on the line say, may I talk to you? I saw a UFO. And in the 2004 MUFON UFO Journal article, Jean gave the witness the pseudonym Callie. Uh, but before long, she would come forward with her entire story in a, co- in a book co-written with Jean. And Callie talked about her UFO sightings, which was, you know, kind of rather par for the course, but... Mm-hmm. What she really wanted to talk about was her daughter's story. And for me, Rob, that's where this begins mm-hmm. on such an interesting note. I was actually saying to you right before we started, as I read this story, I just have to ask how much is actually about Marissa, how much is ask actually about Callie, and how much is mm-hmm. about Rachel, especially when you read the way that Callie tells this story. Right. It, it gets all muddied. It's all muddied. Yes. It it does quite a bit. Uh, I will say that um, uh, Callie, or as we will um, we'll reveal her name now, her name is uh, Helen Luttrell. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you read the, the first about half of Rachel's eyes is the story written from her perspective. The latter half is a lot of the um, hypnosis sessions and and uh, other ancillary material that kind of s- tries to support the story that she brings forward. Mm-hmm. So um, she is definitely a part of it, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we we will definitely get into that uh, that part that she plays in the story because she is connected to it. And like everybody in the story is connected to each other in one way or another, at least that's, that's what we're led to believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
But uh, yeah, her name was Helen Luttrell. And the 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 main source for this ep- episode is called Rachel's Eyes, The Strange But True Case of a Human Alien Hybrid. And um, Helen Luttrell is um, the uh, her daughter is identified as Marissa in this court. Uh, Helen's the only person that is mentioned by name. It, everybody else is given a pseudonym. So her daughter okay. is given the pseudonym Marissa. And uh, at the time that this was um, published, um, she was operating a home-based medical transcription business in addition to performing freelance editing and consulting for a major medical publisher, like she is legit. She is the author of six medical terminology word books. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. That's astounding. Yeah. Holy yeah. Crap. I know. Like this is, this is, she's, uh, she's, she's a very intelligent woman. Yes. At the she's very least, she's big. not dumb. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. And she, um, how would I put this? She's very, for a story that is just completely out in left field, she's very down to earth in the way that she talks about it. Like, if you listen to interviews, she is very matter of fact. She is, she doesn't like to embellish. She will, Mm. like, in the, in the couple that I heard, she, she will answer questions, but she doesn't really like to embellish. Mm -hmm. So, Mm The book was published by Wildflower Press and on on the uh, because I did find a copy of the press release for this on uh, Scribd of all places. But <laughs> shout out to Scribd. <laughs> Whenever I go to find something and I can't find it anywhere, it's yep. always on Scribd. But here's the problem. I'm not going to pay for Scribd. Who's going to pay for Scribd? So <laughs> I, I will I will tell you, I am that sucker that does pay oh for my Scribd God. because I, I kid you not, I got 50 years worth of the MUFON UFO journal downloaded from script. Okay. <laughs> 50 years worth. Okay. Well, from now on, yeah. when I finally come to the end of the road and it's always on script, I will just text you uh, yes, like an absolutely. address and you just send, uh, now we're not ter- talking about this on a podcast. No one's going to tell script about this. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so... Uh, at the top, right in bold letters on this press release, it says the government may know much more about UFOs and ETs than they let on. In fact, they may be working closely with them. So this is <laughs> there's two propositions there, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, you get the 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 subtle introduction by Boylan and then uh you get that just like right on the cover of it it, it it's absolutely fantastic but um so the story begins in 1972 in the office of Lila Rose who is a student counselor at Lost River Community College in Sacramento California and Marissa Helen's daughter was looking for housing to get away from her abusive stepfather and um her the this man John he was a local cop and he was a violent alcoholic basically he would kind of just like stumble through the door late at night and he would just he would take out his frustrations out on Helen mm-hmm. and they lived like that for many years uh, on a couple of occasions Helen would be actually be sent to the hospital but 
because oh, wow. he was a local cop, he got away with it. Huh. Surprising. Yeah. Yes, uh, quite. So um, Marissa, she was visually impaired uh, since about the age of eight or so. Uh, she had been diagnosed with uh, diabetes uh, a couple years before that. Um, and the doctors warned her that she has a chance of losing her sight. So uh, she does. Uh, but her vision would kind of vary some days. It would be, you know, like total blackness, total darkness. Other days she could discern like uh, colors and shapes, uh, even though like it, uh, everything remained fuzzy and blobby. And that's what the time. That's what I wasn't clear about, because <laughs> when you're reading this, there's a lot of. So there's one point where it says specifically in the MUFON article that Marissa is helping someone pick out clothes. And it's like, but how is she helping someone pick out clothes? Did we? Oh, so. Yeah. The it, the way that it is, it, it, she's not helping. Uh, what it is, is that it's Rachel that helps her pick out clothes. Rachel um, helps her pick yeah. out clothes. Now, see, right. that makes a lot more sense for now. Yes. Until we find out who <laughs> Rachel is, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, so uh, she was desperate to leave that situation, and she stepped into Lila Ross's mm -hmm. office, uh, who was a counselor trained to help students that uh, had special needs. And she had already been set up with a, um, a classmate that would help her, you know, uh, escort her to different classes and help her with her homework. His name was Bobby. And... Lila was quick to find her an apartment, and uh, after touring it, Melissa was completely on board. It was furnished, and so she didn't really need to bring much there. The only thing that she would need is a roommate because, uh, you know, it's expensive in that area. And all she was getting, I think, was uh, disability from Social Security. So almost as if right on cue. Just head down to the roommate store. Pick up a roommate. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> it's the easiest thing to find, you know. Yeah, exactly. A good like, roommate. Uh, for for uh, you know, somehow Death Grips found the money store. We <laughs> need to find. That was quite a a pull. I know. I know. That was good. I, it, was, <laughs> it was right out of right field there, but uh, you know, Death Grips they found the money yep, store. We're gonna yep. find the roommate. We're gonna store. find the roommate store at, right after George Costanza finds the jerk store. Of course. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, yeah, just kind of right on cue, this um, this young girl steps into Lila's office uh, along with this tall man. And he introduces himself as Harry Nadine and his daughter, Rachel. And Rachel here is spelled R-A-E-C-H-E-L. So it's a little different spelling than what I'm used to seeing it. Uh, but it, it stands out in that way. Um, uh, Rachel herself kind of stood out in the office. She was very thin. She looked kind of frail. She wore this kind of wide brimmed hat and these large wraparound sunglasses. And her voice was kind of mechanical in tone. She would speak words very carefully, very deliberately in this monotone voice, which, you know, is... Uh, kind of par for the course when you when you read like Men in Black encounters and stuff like that. It's very mechanical, monotone, and and deliberate in, in the way that 
And yeah. yet there is other there are other reasons that a person can yes. be speaking in a mon- monotone voice other than sure they're a government agent. And that's what I just had <laughs> to keep re- re- um sorry, that's what I just had to keep reminding myself of is that mm-hmm. this was a 10 year long investigation. He yes. is <laughs> all of my objections. I was literally writing them down one at a time. <laughs> And just whenever he answered one, I just went ahead and wrote the answer. And sure enough, he pretty much answered all of them. Um, yeah. 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 So, yeah, the dark or the men in black, the monotone voice, the we've got classic UFO symptoms, classic alien symptoms here. Yep. Yep. And uh, immediately Lila believed that she would be the perfect roommate for Marissa. So she calls Marissa down to her office so the two meet and they kind of hit it off. They, they, uh, you know, seem to, uh, just gravitate towards one another really fast, became fast friends. And, um, you know, Harry, he's like, you know, not only will I pay half the rent, I'll pay all the utilities, you know, because mm-hmm. she's going to be in the apartment, uh, more uh, most of the time. So, uh, then they just, uh, they move in together. But before we get to what happens after she moves in, uh, what's interesting and unique about this story is that we actually get to learn a lot about Colonel Harry Nadine. Mm, really? And, yes, we do. And, uh, the way in which Helen Luttrell comes by this information is interesting. So mm-hmm. in 1955, Harry and Dean, he enlisted in the United States Air Force against his parents' wishes. And it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. Uh, his fiance, whose name was Annie, had died uh, after a drunk driver had uh, hit her um, while she was crossing the street one day. So, uh, you know, kind of a guy who just doesn't care. He enlists mm-hmm. in the uh, Air Force. Uh, He lived in uh, Nampa, Idaho. Oh, I was just there. Don't tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) we've got synchronicities here. We've got synchronicities synchronicities. everywhere. Nampa, for those who don't know, used to be a cow farm, used to be bad. Now it's gentrified. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's all there is to know. I'm not saying whether it's good or bad or what. And by by bad, what I mainly mean is that Nampa sits in a valley that is full of people who are trying to pretend like they're in Portland, which is fine. <laughs> that's okay. And yet the further you get out from Boise, people then look at Nampa and places like it, which are places that are actually where good, honest, hardworking people live. Your average mm. people. And I'm not trying to romanticize small town America. I'm literally telling you about Nampa, Idaho. It is a yeah. good place full of good, trustworthy, honest people, hard workers. And uh, I have no reason to think that this that this military man isn't one of them yet. So as you can tell, Nampa is the Shangri-La of Idaho. <laughs> No, it's really not. No, 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 no. There's a lot better places. It's just a fine little town is all it is. The Shangri-La of Idaho, I cannot disclose, but I do know where it is. When he enlists, 
because it's against his parents' wishes, his parents do something which is a complete asshole thing to do, which is give him the silent treatment. Oh, you man. don't give you don't your do kid that. the silent treatment. You're going to mess especially him up forever. When, yeah, uh, especially when you're not going to see him for over 20 years. Yeah, especially Maybe even longer. Right, because you think, where's he going? The military? Mm-hmm. What happens there? People die. And you're yes. really not going to talk to your kid? Really? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and he was sent to uh, basic training in Texas, but before long, they actually sent him to a place called uh, Crawford Air Force Base, Base in Lincoln, Nebraska, and to a technical information investigation school. That's a, a term that I've never heard before. Yeah, technical. What was it? Technical Information Investigation School. Yes. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Yep. Uh, and this is organized under Attic, which mm. the book calls Aerospace Technical Information Command, which is not correct. So, okay. Uh, we do know that Attic is where Project Blue Book, for instance, was. Okay. Okay. It was organized under. Okay. So, um, Addicts technically it stands for Air Technical Intelligence Center, and okay. uh, it was out of Wright Patterson Air Force Base. So, like this attic this makes because, more sense. Yeah, I was like, "What are you talking about?" Okay, right. But the book makes it seem like, "Oh, attic doesn't exist. Attic doesn't exist." Like, yeah, it yeah, does. Yeah. It's part of the Air Force. It's we not do a, know that. It's not a weird conspiracy thing, even though it is a weird conspiracy thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But. Uh, uh, Almost immediately, Harry found himself with this like high security clearance. He wasn't under he he wasn't sure why that was, but he um, one day he found himself hand he he was handed a pamphlet. Uh, quote: Going through the pamphlet with the page with them page by page, their instructor carefully explained each classified project in detail, who was responsible for carrying it out, and exactly what its function was. So we're going to get into heavy conspiracy territory here. Oh, thank like God. Programs that, yeah, we're, we're getting into Majestic 12. I've missed it. I've missed it yeah. so much. <laughs> Take me to crazy uh, land, please. I miss it yeah, there. We're, we're going to crazy land. Uh, at the highest level of security is Magi. Or yes. Majority Agency for Joint Intelligence. It controls all projects dealing with alien entities, concocting and distributing deliberate misinformation as a cover up. The director of Magi usually is the director of the CIA and is designated as MJ1. He reports only to the president of the United States. Wow. So we learn that everything is organized under Majestic 12 here. Now, wait a second. That's very interesting. I didn't know that about Majestic 12. Does that mm. occur with the other MJs? Are they also directors of government agencies or just the like, CIA? Yes. They, the claim is that there are other directors from other agencies that are allegedly a part of this. Right. Of course. Allegedly. Um, uh, allegedly. On top of scientific uh, people from the scientific, political, espionage fields, uh, they, they're all responsible for basically gathering information 
about alien life forms and then making recommendations based on this information. I love Majestic and, 12. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> it's such an unhinged thing to think. <laughs> it is. It is. It's so unhinged. So each member basically worked independently. They never met as a group. And moreover, each member was given only the information that pertained to his or her specific uh, you know, specialty. Mm. So the information was provided strictly on need to know basis. So everything is compartmentalized as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And the, the program that Harry's going to go into people only serve for a very short period of time before they're rotated out. You get new people in even the directors, I think get less than uh, five to 10 years to run the programs that they're in. But okay. uh, the members of this group, carried a security clearance called magic or magi controlled. So the C stands for controlled. Okay. Um, They too were also responsible only to the president. They only answered to the president. So there are a number of specific projects attached to MJ 12 and we got names and we've got functions here. So the first is project Plato. And it's responsible for diplomatic relations with aliens signed under a formal treaty with the, quote, Intergalactic Council. Now, when was that treaty signed? Uh, I believe it was signed in the 40s, maybe the 50s. It's It's not totally clear. It does not mention uh, the Eisenhower. It's not the Eisenhower thing. Okay, that's what I'm wondering is if they're referencing that or a different fake treaty with aliens. Right. No, this seems to be its own specific treaty. It, okay. it, it definitely didn't mention Eisenhower at all in this book. Okay. Uh, and this intergalactic council, which consists of, uh, you know, the United States, along with the uh, like federations of planets and such, are a part of this. This council has an insignia, which looks like a triangle with three lines going through it. That's great. And. And this symbol is really not dissimilar to the quote-unquote real symbol that Lonnie Zamora saw mm. in Socorro, New Mexico in 1964. There, uh, most often people uh, cite the um, – it's a symbol that's like a half circle with an arrow pointing upwards in a straight line, um, a horizontal line underneath it. Mm-hmm. That, uh, from the research that we did, was allegedly a double dummy symbol that they wanted to use – uh, in case somebody came forward and said, now, this is what it looked like. So um, for Lonnie Zamora, it looked like a uh, triangle missing the the bottom okay, with three lines going through it. Um, and if you actually look at the Project Blue Book, the statements that Heineck took down, he wrote he he wrote down the symbol and it looks like uh, the letter A without the slash in the mm-hmm. middle of it. But. Below where that slash would be is two lines, and then on top of it is a single line. Okay. So uh, the, the, the quote-unquote real symbol may in fact be the symbol for the Intergalactic Council that uh, we're talking about here today. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Yes. We found the yes. symbol. <laughs> we found the symbol. Sam, how do you feel right now while we're in this? Well, I feel like I got to call Dan Brown because we found the lost symbol, but that's <laughs> ju- that's a dumb thing to say. So I, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Uh, no, dude, I'm I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Here's Here's what I think. Here's how I feel about these things. It gets so convoluted. It gets mm-hmm. so convoluted. 
that even if there is truth in it, I could not possibly say what that truth is. And I think this is such exactly. a good example. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. there's three different symbols. Which one's the right one? Well, that presupposes that presupposes a lot of things. <laughs> Just that yes. question, you know. It and does. I think it's important to say. It's important to say everything. The one thing I'm going to say is it is important to say that even if there is 12 incorrect symbols and one real symbol, Mm -hmm. even though we will never know what that real symbol is out of the group, doesn't mean one of them is not real, you know, and that's what's so hard about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, That is completely fair. So, uh, the terms of the treaty are, as you would guess, that uh, we ex- they exchange advanced technology mm-hmm. in, a, in exchange for human and animal subjects to abduct and mutilate, respectively. Okay. There is uh, allegedly a quota on the number of people who can be abducted, and we're later told that a group known as the Big Greys has violated this condition repeatedly. Yes. Now... And- just so we can remind the listeners and myself, what's our source for all of this? Where are we getting all this information? Is this out of this? Isn't just out of the book of this Rachel's is completely, eyes? It is, but okay. But this information, Majestic Twelve, is a bigger. It's not. It doesn't yes. start here. Correct? correct. Yes. 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 Okay. Just. Just as yeah. a nice reminder. <laughs> Yep. They're Majestic fact, 12 goes back to the 1980s, the early 1980s. The That's book when is we in first fact see it. Pulling off mm. of established UFO mythology already. Not only that, it's it's pulling off of it and taking it in new different directions yes. that we're going to get to. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, which is so important. Yeah, that to yeah. see how the myth is used and how it retransforms and becomes something new. That's so important to find the rock bottom of all of this. Yeah, it's literally what the cartoon, the Transformers, is. That's that's what we're dealing with. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> we did it. We did. We found we Transformers. Got, we, got a, we got Transformers, and we got an MJ12 connection here. This is perfect. Uh, it's absolutely perfect. Uh, so there is a list of abductees that is created and shared with the government by the aliens. Just so we're we're, we're just good so on we that. all know. Yes. Um, Project Aquarius is uh, it compiles the history of alien interactions with human beings, which goes back 25,000 years. It's been around a while. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. Those dates track. (laughs) Yep. Project Excalibur is a weapon designed to destroy deep underground military bases that house aliens in case things get out of hand. Okay, so it's a safety measure. It's not yes. we don't it's an it's like we don't want to kill you, but we do right. realize we might have to. Okay. Right. I can understand that. So we have there are only two underground alien bases in the United States though. We've got one Dolce. No, Dolce is nowhere in this at all i know you you're as shocked as i am what (laughs) no way they're talking about the tall grays and the and the or the big grays and there's no dolce this is astounding it's a whole new thing (laughs) so the other option here and and you would be correct in guessing that uh they do 
uh, one of them is Area 51. They okay. do have one under Area 51. Didn't even say it because it's so obvious. Yes, but adjacent to Area 51. Area in a 52? Different, in a different area of Nevada, we have what is called Four Corners. And it is nowhere near the Four Corners that you would think of, you know, with, with, with the states. But I was like, there is. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but this is a different this, four corners. It is. It is. And and our guy Harry Nadine is going to be sent to four corners. That's where his outpost is going to be. Uh, Project Garnet is responsible for tracking documents related to aliens and their presence on Earth. Uh, and the Nash, the NRO or the National Reconnaissance Organization is responsible for the design and launch of reconnaissance satellites for various departments in the U.S. All so right. um, what we learn is that Majestic 12 is funded completely by the CIA, which I am skeptical of just because that that's a big budget right there. And I don't think the CIA has the budget to fund something. Like Here's that. my question about this. If everybody mm-hmm. in Majestic 12 reports to the president, who does the president report to? Because exactly. he is definitely not at the top of this. He can't be. Exactly. That doesn't make any sense. It, it's a problem. It's, it's a problem. It's definitely a problem. A hierarchical problem that we don't have a solution to because i don't think there's like you know multiple branches that can check each other in in different ways but uh um, yeah 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 that would be nice if we have that but uh yeah seems like we, we don't. don't no <laughs> we don't not at all no uh so project luna is the project that establishes the underground alien bases and their guidelines are under a project called Project Pounce, which is the official designation for recovered, crashed alien crafts and alien beings. And, uh, you know, liaisons for those that are that land safely. Uh, they also these are also the folks that compile and distribute misinformation and give it to the press to print and um if anybody who encounters these aliens refuses to accept this type of truth, they are subjected to mind manipulation. Oh, yeah. Lord. Yeah. That is not good. Okay, mind manipulation. We're talking like yeah. brainwashing? Yes. But but I'm assuming more full, forceful, more like a brain laundering of sorts yes it's 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 a brain laundering scheme absolutely it is like it's you put a good brain in you get a bad brain out and what is this scheme (laughs) ufology obviously yeah (laughs) this is the mattress store of alien stories yes we have the money laundering scheme and uh so as you can imagine our our guy harry didine he gets uh sent to four corners okay and and this is an exercise in following directions over a payphone and looking for markers that wouldn't be suspicious to anybody else except for the person that knows that they're markers. So he's driving through the desert and Harry arrives at this gate, which leads to like what looks like a couple of rundown buildings and guarding this gate are two men. And they have what he calls hell dogs. These dogs were large. They were able to look inside his vehicle and they had red eyes. 
Okay, the first yeah. two, interesting. The last yeah. one, red eyes. Whenever people say red eyes, I always anticipate glowing red eyes. Is that right. what we're talking right. about? It, it was not like specific a literal cartoon. Than, <laughs> right. Like I'm kind of picturing um, the eyes that uh, the um, the dogs in Ghostbusters had because they weren't really glowing. They yes. were just like they look like they had a serious case of red eye. Yeah. Let me look at those really quick. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to go Ghostbuster dog. <laughs> I see exactly what you mean now. And that is yeah. exactly what I was thinking, too. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. That's perfect. All right. I'm just assuming that's what these are, or these dogs, because that's the, the 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 first image that went to my mind yeah. was the these. And uh, he um, he is directed through, and he is uh, requested to park uh, right by a building. He goes inside this building, and the um, interior betrays the exterior because. You have a nice rec area inside. There's sleeping mm-hmm. quarters, nice kitchen. They, these folks are kind of living the high life. Mm-hmm. And below them are tunnels where underground levels where aliens and humans do their experimentations. They work together on a project called the Humanization Project, which is where they take human and animal and alien DNA and they kind of just manipulate it. They do, okay. you know, what they're going to do with got it. got some hybrid and, stuff. Yes. And the commanding officer at Four Corners is a guy named Colonel Bill Walker. And Harry kind of grew close to him. And he had this kind of like um, casual demeanor to him. And he wasn't the kind of guy that, you know, would make you salute him or anything like that. It was pretty casual at this base because, as you would imagine, when you see fucked up shit, Mm -hmm. maybe you don't want that kind of strict regiment in your face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes just sense. Keep it, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the idea behind this. Okay. Oh, um, and one of the guards. So uh, at wait, the sorry. Gate, let me re- yeah. let me just make sure I do understand. The yeah. U.S. military is like, huh? We're putting people through some stressful things. Maybe they would like a basketball court. <laughs> this is what yeah. they. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's an interesting approach. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how effective it's going to be, but I think that's what we'll find out. Yeah, uh, we will. We'll definitely find it that does out. Seem um, like the kind of thing the government would say. So <laughs> it's um, it it's would. making sense so far. So far, yes, absolutely. Uh, so we have our guy Harry. He uh, he doesn't really know what to make of things at first. He doesn't even know why he's here, uh, other than the fact that he took three weeks of a, on a of a training course on um, aliens and secret government projects and such. He really doesn't know why he's been chosen for this particular assignment. But uh, it, it's not long before he's sent out into the field. So what Four Corners is on top of a, a, an underground alien base, it's also a place where aliens actually land. It's kind of like an embassy for the aliens. It's where they come. It's kind of like that building in Men in Black in New York City. Mm-hmm. That's where they all go. They all come to this particular area. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And the thing about it is that a lot of the times, for whatever reason, and to me... I feel like you could have put this, you know, installation someplace else that would make this easier. Sometimes the aliens crash. 
and it happens more frequently than you think. Mm-hmm. And in the in his first bit of action, Harry is sent out with a team. There's two teams. There's one team that goes into the UFO when it's crashed, looks for survivors, anything like that. There's a perimeter team that, you know, just like, you know, maintains the perimeter and, and such. So Harry rolls up with the team. This UFO had crashed. They go, they recover the bodies, cover the UFO and such. Before long, another craft comes down, doesn't crash, it lands. And he, this hatch opens up and this being comes outside. And immediately it it starts to communicate with Harry. And he imparts that um, the folks before had crash landed. They were apparently a liaison for this, uh, uh, because these aliens were basically the same. And um, he was basically imparting, hey, this is what happened to your comrades. Okay. This alien was appreciative, thanked him, turned back around, got in his ship, and took off. That's a very chill alien we've got there. We've got a very chill situation here. So Now, that, uh, it makes sense yeah. if they're a more highly evolved life form. Maybe they don't care mm-hmm. when their friends die. But if that is yeah. what it is to be a more highly evolved life form, I'm not sure I want it, right? It's it's tough, man. It's, it's tough. tough. Like it's tough. Yeah. Uh but like yeah, it's very uh and we're going to get into why it's very nonchalant like that. I there is a a, a reason and an answer for you. Um And that's but, what I'm saying, uh, man. This dude, he yeah. does nothing. And by this dude, I do mean Rob Christofferson. I also mean <laughs> The dude, uh, what's the guy's name uh, who's writing Harry? the book? Oh, uh, Helen is the one writing Helen it. Helen writes it. The, yeah. But Harry's, Harry's the guy. Yeah. Um, and when I was reading the MUFON journals, it was, sorry, I should have had this oh, up already. Jean uh, Bildeau. Oh, Jean Bildeau. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, not this guy at all. This Jean. Um, mm-hmm. That's the thing about Jean is she does. She just keeps bringing up questions. She keeps, as I read her her stuff, it's like, okay, here comes the question, here comes the answer, here comes the question, here comes the answer. It's just so hard mm-hmm. for me to accept that the things you're saying have answers right now, but I trust. Exactly. I trust that I, they do. I will say that this story has more, like, it, it's tighter than I expected it to be. I expected yeah. there to be like looser ends. The only lose totally loose end because uh, like, yeah, we're, we're way into conspiracy territory mm-hmm. here, but mm-hmm. there's levels of logic that the story follows that uh, kind of brought me comfort when I was reading it because mm-hmm. I needed it. So the um, reason why this alien singled out Harry is because he has a natural gift for telepathy. He can okay. communicate very easily. Yep. That way. Makes sense. So uh, someone in Texas recognized this and, you know, sent his ass to Nebraska. So uh, the Harry would be used most frequently as this kind of interpreter for aliens coming to Earth. And what we quickly learn is that there are multiple different types of aliens. Um, There are... The small grays, they're a species under the, uh, their own. 
these are the grays that are like three feet tall. We have the quote unquote big grays, which are kind of described as the Karens of the universe. Oh my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's quite a description. We have, yes. We have um, humanoid, other humanoid types. We have insectoids. Mm-hmm. We have um, plant based aliens. And we have my favorite living plasma clouds. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yep. That last one got me. That's for sure. The plant one, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, living clouds. Yep. Okay. I believe you. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, Harry does this job for a while and then he goes and takes on a new assignment. At first, Colonel Bill Walker, he, he sends him down into the underground depths and he wants to know who it is that is going beyond their alien abduction quotas. This is kind of a little bit of a big deal. So there are small greys that are in the facility that work amongst them and he's tasked to go and um, interrogate as kindly as he can the greys. Now... I want to I want to set up an image for you right now. We're going to, we're going deep underground. Okay. We have special elevators that yep. require um handprints. Yep. We we're we've got, you know, like metal rooms. Uh, we have like glass um, you know, it's basically floated. basically my dream house. That's what you're describing. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. Um, With the uh, added feature of, you know, like uh, beings inside of, you know, uh, round bits of glass with liquid inside of it, tanks and stuff. uh, There is a little bit of that going on. But in the break room, we see three greys sitting on a couch. I want you to get that image in your head. Holy crap. It just came right in. It, yep. it was already in my head. <laughs> yeah. And these grays, they're pretty chill. They're they're pretty chill. So is this me and my buddies he, from when we were in high school yeah. and we just sat there yeah. on couches, you know, just doing normal things on couches. And we looked at yeah. each other thinking, you really are an alien, aren't you? Yeah. 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 Think of the aliens in the position that you are currently in right now with your hands yeah, behind hands your head like that. Head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'd like to know just a little bit. About the break room. I know that's totally not related to this, but as you were saying, like, okay, now think about the glass and the steel and the hand scanners. So my mind immediately, did you ever see news radio? Yep. Yeah. So my mind immediately went to that break room and a couch in that break room. But I'm assuming the break room probably fit with the decor better, right? It was like Uh, high tech or... I guess what I'm asking yeah. is, how did he know it was the break room? Was there a coffee pot or what? <laughs> Pretty much, you know, it was kind of an Earth-based break room. Okay. Uh, you know, like, aliens have their their own, you know, things that they consume and stuff. They have their special foods. These sorts of things essentially always break down to the same story over and over and over again. And what it is, is the story of exchange students. You just take yes. a couple of aliens from Zeta Reticuli, you take a couple of yeah. dudes on Earth, you send them to each other for a semester, and suddenly the aliens drink coffee and the humans yeah. smoke the souls of the the bygones. I don't know what they do on Zeta Reticuli, but uh, 
They'll come back and tell yeah. us one day. Oh, yes, they absolutely will. And Harry goes and he talks to these greys. And the, the way that he describes telepathy is like he describes this kind of warmth that comes into his head mm. uh, when it happens, lets him know that they're communicating. And, okay. OK. You know, he starts asking him is like, hey, are you guys like uh, abducting people? And they're like, no, we're not the ones abducting people. That's the big greys. They're the ones we uh, they these aliens claim that our DNA is so close to cows that they don't need to abduct us anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that is what the science would yeah. indicate as well, that we really yeah. don't need that many people abducted to make the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have the base genetic life code of planet Earth, you kind of can just modulate that for each being. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get it. I get it. So the reason why they are being abducted in the first place. And it is the typical response that you see more often than not, is that these aliens can't reproduce anymore. So they yes. have to come up with different ways in order to do this. So okay. that's, that's the kind of thing that uh, they get at is that that's what the big grays are essentially doing. And, and it's um, always worth you know, noting that in these stories, it's always them coming to us because we have something they need. You even right. go back to the Anunnaki in the Sumerian Bible. Then yes. here's the thing. I can't read Akkadian, and I do not trust, trust Sitchins as far as no. I can throw them. But that no. being said, it is a standard mythological motif of mm -hmm. we need something. We create a lesser being to do it for us. We're fine whether that's mining gold for the Anunnaki or what are we doing here? I know they're not creating us, but they're creating beings. And what's the purpose of the right. being, you say? Uh, they're basically trying to bridge the gap that is uh, because what what they're saying is like eventually their DNA get their their species evolves to a point where they can't re reproduce anymore. It yes. literally had nothing to do with um, the fact that they, you know. Uh, it, it didn't have anything to do with like oh, our our homelands, the nuclear wasteland, and, and, okay. and all this it's, stuff. It's it literally they it, evolved to the point they could not mm -hmm. create. They could not create yeah. life. That is fascinating. Okay, cool. Yes. So you know he gets this information from these aliens, and now he becomes the interpreter for these aliens uh, to help them work better with the humans that are there to work on their projects more efficiently. And, um, you know, uh, one thing that I like about this book is that it gets across the point that if we could do the telepathy, we would be able to communicate better because we can communicate advanced concepts better than you can by speaking a word. Yeah. Yeah. Language is a closed system. You can only use words mm -hmm. to explain words, but even already I'm really appreciating this because I've always had this question, which is how do you know if you're telepathically communicating with somebody else, right? A thought exactly. comes into your head. How do you know it's your thought? Now, maybe you've never had that thought before. I'm sorry to place mm -hmm. it in your mind. I hope it doesn't drive you insane like it drove me, drove me insane. But the fact that he's saying like, yeah, I know it's them because I have a, a sensation that accompanies the thought as opposed mm -hmm. to the thought itself is a diff is like a different kind of thought that is literally working on a higher level than I ever yes. see these stories reach. 
ever. Yes. Yeah. So Harry takes on this new position in here and he befriends an alien human hybrid whose name he he says, you know, you can't really spell it, but it sounds like Chisky. Chisky. And yes. And, and they became kind of like fast, fast friends. You know, they could rely on each other. And before long, he was actually teaching them how to talk because mm. the hybrids allegedly, while they don't have the best, um, you know, like uh, system to speak, they can speak if you, you know, kind of like work that muscle and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. he uh he basically teaches him how to speak a little and bit and it's worth noting the insights that we have from our friends in the linguistics department which says mm-hmm. that in reality there are different phonemes people literally yeah different cultures literally make different noises and that's why like people have accents that's why everything and so it's interesting to see these alien hubit hybrids literally become the bridge between what yes. can and cannot be communicated, right? Yes. That's really interesting stuff. Yes. And Harry works his way up, you know, through the ranks. And eventually he comes uh, He, he uh, about 11, 11-ish years into his time there. He takes over Four Corners from Colonel Walker. And uh, basically, there are a lot of things in this book that remind me of the first Men in Black film, because basically what happens is like he he goes and he lives uh, like Kay does at the end of the first movie. He goes and he lives with this wife that he hasn't seen in like, you know, however long and stuff like that. And three years into his tenure as the head honcho in 1969. There is a crash at Four Corners that Harry and this team respond to. Uh, You know, Harry's head honcho, so, you know, he's bringing new guys out in the field and stuff like that. So um, immediately he presumes that all the crew is dead. There are actually bodies uh, on the ground that were ejected. But he sees a bit of movement. And, you know, granted, there is this craft is erupted in fire at this point. And. He basically said, you know, said it says to his men, get everybody back. This thing could explode, but he's going in to see if this movement that he saw is actually somebody on board or not. Mm. He goes into a room and he sees a being that is pinned underneath a, a you know, some equipment that had fallen over. And this being is uh, small, like very small, kind of like... um small gray status but like like, three feet uh uh, yeah three feet tall kind of uh like underdeveloped is Mm. is the best way to put it the torso small the head big that sort of a thing yeah kind of yeah pretty much and he notices that this being stands out because it doesn't look like your normal aliens it looks like a hybrid so he helps to lift up this equipment off this alien being and she does have a cut on her arm, but um, these beings can heal small wounds through breathing techniques. At least that's what they tell us. And Harry gets her out of there. And this is a a female. And he immediately has this kind of like bond with her Mm -hmm. to the point where he goes through 
his head honchos uh, in attic and asks, hey, what if we just raise her? What if we just give her a home at the base and raise her? She doesn't have anybody else. And, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that they immediately picked up on that he got kind of through telepathy is that the folks that were on the ship were her family. Okay. And this isn't a concept that is, um, you know, brought forth a lot throughout the book. It's like these alien beings, they seem to be kind of like singular beings working together. They're not really, you know, like of a family mind. No, and yet for society to function, there has to be a smallest unit. You know, there yeah. has to be a smallest unit for society to function. Otherwise, you can't build the large unit of civilization, you know, and so, and society in general. And so this is where telepathy can help. You know, it's like, she, she doesn't need to sit here and tell you how her family is like yours and this and that. All you need to know Mm -hmm. is she feels the way that you would feel if your family was dead. That is the most important thing to get out of that. Yeah. Wow. That's profound. Yeah. So they, they take it under themselves to essentially give her a living space and, and and raise her essentially like a person, like a human, not like an alien, like a like a human. So um they fix up this these kind of um unused offices that were right next to Harry's um and these two nurses named Fran and Wanda kind of like take it upon themselves to, you know, uh really give her the environment to um to really grow and and such and like uh you know really kind of blend in and one of these stipulations for the addict's agreement to um allow her to do this is that Harry actually had to adopt her as a daughter that's literally the stipulation he has to adopt this alien human hybrid as his daughter, which is very, it seems kind of convoluted to me, but why does it seem convoluted to you? I want to hear it. It just seems like it's out of nowhere. Like, okay, you're going to raise this alien human hybrid and and you kind of want to do it as an experiment. Yeah. But at the same time, this seems like one of the most human things that you can fucking do is literally adopt this girl. Well, and here's the other side of it. You're yeah. literally creating a paper trail, too. You cannot just write, as far as I understand, our systems. And again, I know we're talking about black ops, and so the rules don't matter. Mm-hmm. But you can't just adopt somebody. There has to be right. legal things that happen. And thus, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Sorry for the, I don't know if we're allowed no, to swear. No, you're good, man. You're good. Okay. All right. I'm on board. I'm on board with it. Yeah. You know, they give her this stable environment. Chisky uh, gets involved. He like, like the best way that I, that I can say it is like nearly everybody came together and raised this, this alien human hybrid in the loving, in, in a loving environment. Like you're talking about a government facility and yet it seemed to be kind of a loving environment. It's literally that these people. So believable yeah. to me. That's what's so yeah. weird. It's so believable that this mm-hmm. lost thing would show up and these people who were like, nah, man, they're just government drones. They don't care about anything. But they're all like, no, man, of course we have hearts. This is a yeah. lost kid. Everybody, like you say, it's the most human thing of all. 
to say, mm-hmm. I have no reason to give a shit, but mm-hmm. I can't not. That is the most exactly. human thing. It's amazing. Yeah, it makes total sense to me that it takes a literal military village to raise an actual alien child. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they bring in a linguist named Suzanne Brent, and she teaches Rachel, which they give her the name Rachel, and Rachel agrees to it. She and and the thing is, is like she's happy to go along with everything yeah she is like if if you if you do this i will do it i will do it if you allow me i'll do it and she is very quick on picking things up she has a very high iq she learns fast and um despite the fact that she didn't really have like the ability to she she was never going to have the ability to speak like a human she was able to uh, bring her voice, which started out at this like high pitched tone, tone down to like a normal, more normal human level, and uh, the way in which they did this, and the way in the, which they taught her to, in fact, read, was they w- Suzanne would kind of write these stories out, but they were illustrated by the front guard, uh, the front gate guard who's a man named Ron. Ron was an illustrator before he took this job. So Ron would draw out these like stories and Suzanne would basically write these stories out. And that's how she learned to read because she was able to take these concepts, these advanced concepts and boil it down into, you know, the written language. Mm, Okay. All right. I get that. So by the time Harry's tenure as commander of Four Corners came to an end, it was in 1972. And Rachel, um, when she first arrived at the base, so it was three years before that, she she didn't know what her age was. She called herself intermediate, which they took to mean 15 years old when she came there. So um, she is 18 years old now. And Harry is transferred to a desk job in California. And this is where the next phase of the plan comes in. Harry convinces Attic to allow him, allow her to socialize with other people, to try and see if she could blend in with human beings. So now we're back at the present. This is where I come in. This is where I now know what happens. Um, yes. At least for, I don't know, like a minute until we go into the future. But let me ask you this, Rob, when yeah. Helen's writing this book, you may have already said this, when Helen's writing this book, how does she say she comes by this information? Okay, I will, uh, I'll tell you now. Okay. The way in which she 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 comes by this, and there's going to be an event that's coming up. Okay, okay, okay. okay. That in which she gets, uh, in in which this is explained to her, the way in which he does it is he does it through telepathy with her. Oh, oh, stop for a moment. I'm sorry, listeners. I literally need a second for that. Yeah. Helen communicates telepathically with Harry. Yes. Okay. Now, the article that I read said nobody knew who Harry actually was or if he existed. So that'll be interesting. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Right. Okay. Right. 
oh wow i am freaked out go ahead (laughs) which is like contradictory to like the information that comes forth in the book i helen did helen knew Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. marissa knew i don't nobody else really knew but there is some corroborating evidence and we we will get get into i love me some corroborating evidence so yeah despite the fact that you know, Marissa and Rachel hit it off immediately. There are a few oddities that present themselves right up front. So both girls had specialized diets. One because uh, she had diabetes and the other one because she's literally a human alien hybrid and she has a special diet in order to, you know, live. Uh, basically, she would receive these shipments that were in these white boxes and these white boxes had this intergalactic council symbol on it. And she would have to keep them in the freezer. The way in which Marissa described them, she said it smelled like spinach that had been reheated too many times. And it was just nasty smelling. So she asked Rachel uh, one day to, if she could have some and she said, no, you, you would get sick. So immediately she got suspicious there. She also had a special liquid that uh, that she kept in the kitchen in these five-gallon containers that she would get. Now, I do um, the same thing, but, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. all have special uh, it, five-gallon containers of special liquid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it looked like water, but, uh, you know, they kind of they said it was not exactly water. And this these containers were allegedly dropped off. By the men in black. Right. The dark men. Yes. The dark men. That's yes. how uh, the actual phrase was. Like, there were dark men. Okay. Well, they were mm-hmm. men in black. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. Um, and and Helen says, uh, I called them the men in black at a time when she didn't know what the men in black were allegedly. But uh, like, eh, okay. Okay. I get it. I'll take I get it. it. I'll let that. We literally I'll... call them the men in black because we have nothing else to call them. And it is quite literally what they are. And therefore, Helen, you could have got there by yourself. I do appreciate that. I will tell you that two of these men in black actually did have names. I got names. Okay. What are their names? One one was named Auron, and the other is uh, Asaterek. A-S-A-T-E-R-E-K. Asaterek. Aaron Aaron. and Asaterek. Aaron and a satiric. Yeah. Or Aaron. Aaron and a satiric. Aaron. A U R A N. Okay, cool. Just making my own notes here. <laughs> yep. Men in black names. This is uh, what we do. Sam's going to go. Uh, Sam, are these religious figures? Are we talking oh, about religious figures here? No, I don't think so at all. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that these are. Uh, maybe alien words that someone made yeah. up. And I, yeah. as a person who's very interested in language, names are very, they hold a lot for me. And so I love to hear in these sorts of scenarios what names are. Because it's like for me, I now am at a point where I can tell you like the etymology of at least Rachel, that it's a Hebrew name. I could tell you mm-hmm. the etymology of he, of Helen probably if I thought about it for a minute or two. But for me to be able to find a name that comes from an alien civilization, if that actually is true and is what's happening, that's 
that is how we will understand who these people are is through their names if that mm -hmm. is what's happening and so yeah yeah dude yeah dude i'm all about it i'm so hyped yep uh so when marissa moved into this apartment she started to see a little bit better and uh you know I, I think part of that was chalked up to the fact that she was away from the stress of having you know coming from that abusive relationship uh but um she was able to kind of discern the logo on the box and then um she thought it was you know kind of strange because these boxes didn't have anything else other than that uh insignia on it so um it, that was something that you know, stuck out. The other thing was, is that, uh, like, as I mentioned before, Rachel would help pick uh, Marissa's outfits out with her. And the thing was, as an alien human hybrid, she didn't know anything about like colors and mm -hmm. like how they, they would match and stuff like that. So um, people would remark that her outfit didn't match kind of on the regular. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So she's that. getting feedback elsewhere. Like I was, I think I mentioned it already in the recording. If not, it was right before. It's like, how, how does this relationship work? That's what I kept thinking of when I was reading the article. How could they all possibly know this? And thus, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. For a blind person to just be told, hey, you're wearing some weird stuff today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All mm -hmm. right. I'll take it. Yep. So um, there were other people that did meet Rachel. One of them was Bobby. And um, Bobby relayed to Marissa that um, she basically she wore uh, what they call jumpsuits. But I, I think the best way to describe it and like the image that they put on the cover of the book, she kind of she's dressed in the same type of like outfit that Rosie the Riveter wears. Yeah, you know, for the, sure. those kind of like overalls that mm -hmm. kind of just cover completely. Um, she has her head kind of wrapped up, not dissimilar to Rosie. It's like this, I'm getting total yeah, Rosie really the Riveter vibes, vibes from this. Yeah. Now, what yeah, about her uh, uh, mouth and lower face? So, like, she wore these big ass sun sunglasses, I think, in part to distract from the fact that she had like she didn't really have lips. She had, you know, kind of like uh, she did have like a mouth, but it wasn't very pronounced and okay. her nose wasn't very pronounced. She did have a nose, okay. um, but her skin tone definitely stuck out because her skin tone was green, like a, a greenish color. OK. And kind of giving you like the idea that this person is like Ill. sick or unwell, like in a cartoon. Yeah. You know, that vibe. You yeah. Know? It can't be that her skin is green. Right. Because no. that's a that's a dead giveaway. But mm -hmm. to just say she looked sickly, she looked ill. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, there's a reason we say, oh, you look a little green in the gills or whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Except she was literally green. Except in the she gills. was. Yes. Agree. <laughs> I agree. She was also literally green <laughs> and that's where it all breaks down. <laughs> yeah. But like, even though, uh, and the other thing that kind of set people like uh, that made it, her stand out is like, she had kind of trouble walking a little bit. Okay. Like she had a very odd gait. And of course, you know, you have this mechanic, mono, mechanical monotone voice. Uh, she would receive regular visits from the men in black, 
uh, like Marissa would like walk into the apartment and would literally see them right there uh, at the table with Rachel discussing whatever. Mm -hmm. And she would be told that she had to leave the apartment. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there's an incident involving Helen when she came to visit Marissa one day that when she was going up, the men in black were coming down, but like they were crowding the stairs. So she literally had to go back down the stairs and let them come off the stairs before she would go up because these men in black are assholes and they don't move for anybody. Because they have no, they are assholes because they have no sense of what is normal and not. Right. They literally do not realize coming down the stairs that a human being will always move. To let the other person up unless they're an asshole. And that's where I like the idea, right? When we started our show and whatever, not alone and all that, I was very convinced that the men in black were just government agents. And now I'm very convinced that, that whatever this is describing, it is describing Mm -hmm. a non-human entity for sure. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, in, in, Helen's first trip to the apartment, uh, she doesn't meet Rachel. Rachel's not there. She's at class. But the second time, um, as she's about to leave, she they they both hear Marissa and uh, Helen both hear you know these steps, uh, f- footsteps coming up the stairs. So she's like, "Oh, just hang on a second, and, and you'll meet you know you'll meet Rachel." So. Rachel had actually forgotten a book that she needed for class, so she ran to her bedroom as swiftly as she could and started to come back. But um, she was just trying to get out of the apartment to avoid any conversation. But as she was leaving the apartment, she tripped. And she uh, the, the way that Helen described this, she didn't put her arms out to like catch herself. Because she could have. She could have caught herself on something. She just, like, started to come down. So Helen basically tried to, you know, stop her from falling, grabbed her arm. When she did, she kind of pushed her sleeve back. And she noticed that her skin was kind of, like, very odd. And when it was, like, cold to the touch. And she said it had the texture of, like, a mushroom. Mm -hmm. Um, But the most startling thing was that her glasses fell down and she looked into her eyes and she could see like her eyes were somewhat wraparound. They, they were large, they were green and they had the, this iris that she said kind of reminded her of like a bird. Yes. Um, Very, yes. Yeah. Very, you know, long and thin. Okay. And she looked up at her and, At first, Helen was terrified, and then she realized that, you know, Rachel was terrified because she now knows, like, you know, the secret is out. But Helen, she's nice about it. She doesn't freak out or anything. She, she, you know, she helps her up, gives her back her glasses, you know, and, and, and sends her on her way. But it's at this point that she knows the jig is up. So... Colonel Harry Nadine comes over to the apartment and explains everything, explains what they're trying to do, explains the human alien hybrid program, all that stuff. 
And and again, he explained uh, at least as you know, because this is from Helen's perspective, he was able to impart it using telepathy. Yes, yes, of course, that makes sense. And um, after that, Marissa and Rachel would become the best of friends. They would take evening walks together. They they even double dated, and. Rachel like ended up going out on a date with one of uh, Marissa's brothers. And, you know, he later recounted like how odd she was and stuff like that, but that she was like incredibly nice and and stuff. And uh, a lot of the testimonials of people that met Rachel would say basically the same things. Like she seemed very odd, but, you know, pretty nice. And one day, Marissa came into the apartment and she immediately knew something was off. Rachel was gone. She left. Um, she went into her room and everything was gone. There was only a note left on. I think it was like a, a mirror saying, I'm sorry, I had to go. But she left her with a gift. And that gift is the gift of eyesight. Stop she was eyesight. able to see. Yeah, she was able to see. Now we got, we've got miracles. now. I quite literally um, got chills as I was reading yeah. it. I was like, Holy crap. Okay. Yep. I have a quick thought really quick. Mm-hmm. So Harry was mm-hmm. basically chosen because he is a, not because he's special, right? That's the thing that's important to remember. He is special because we're all special. And the thing that mm-hmm. is special about him is that he has a low-level telepathic field or whatever you want to however you want to describe it. Yet mm-hmm. it is not Harry that they care about. It is the low-level telepathic field that they care about. Mm-hmm. Is right. this what we think is happening with Helen too that she's basically being marked because she already can and does sense thoughts and emotions or whatever? the same way that Harry would have before. I know that these are two different events, but it really seems like they're being chosen. Why else? This is what I just have to think. Why else would she not put out her arms unless she knew who Helen was and that this was the time for her to be revealed somehow? Yeah. We're going to get into that right now. Oh, thank God. Okay. (laughs) So in the book, Helen, for the better part of 10 years, explores her experiences through hypnosis. And she recounts a time that she went to the apartment to go see Marissa, but she wasn't there. But Rachel was. And Rachel. The way that she describes it in the book, and and I don't automatically get creepy vibes or, or anything like that, she says, I wish you could be my mother. Rachel says that to Helen. Helen, yes. God, this just makes my case so much stronger. Go ahead. (laughs) And she says, I wish you could see where I came, where I was born, where I was raised. Okay. And she looks into her eyes and like she's transported through space and time, uh, you know, uh, through this like mental projection. Yes. That was good, man. <laughs> Through space and time. Through um, space but and time. She's transported into this room and like 
she kind of has to pass through this like glass area and she keeps saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. And right. And Rachel says, no, put your hands on it and you'll be able to go through. So she goes okay. through and she sees this area that, again, is full of tanks, glass tanks with liquid. And there are like fetuses in it, uh, as she describes it. And at first she says to Helen, you need to be the mother for these babies. And she says, no, I, I can't do that. And she's like, OK, that's fine. We have another job for you. We need you to talk about us. And she kind of says, no, I don't want to do that. But like uh, through that experience, she comes to believe that she is, in fact, that the DNA, the human DNA that Rachel has came partially from Helen. The human DNA that mm -hmm. Rachel has yes. came from Helen. Yes. Here's the thing that's so funny. I already knew because of the psychology stuff, mm -hmm. I did not read this. I'm just saying, based off of the psychology stuff I've read, I already knew that Helen was going to be revealed as yes. Rachel's mother. Yes. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So, go ahead. She ties this to an incident in 1951. Um, like, you know, in, the, in in abduction stories, there are always these incidents that seem kind of like dreamlike, but they seem like they're in the real world. Mm -hmm. uh, these events that happen. And, and what she recounts is going to the doctors to make sure that, you know, everything was fine because she was like bleeding a lot. So okay. she assumed that maybe she was pregnant or something like that. So she goes, she has a checkup with this creepy German doctor. It's the way that she describes it. And instead of, you know, telling her that, oh, you're 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 pregnant or whatever, they just look at her and say, everything's fine. Don't worry about it, you know, and, 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 and stuff like that. And she believes that this incident is where they got the DNA for Rachel. OK. Um, turns out that Helen has had abduction like experiences going back to the age of 13 and at the age of 13 she had this abduction and again this is where we're going to get into kind of the childhood sexual assault mm -hmm. kind of stuff it and and there to to be fair there to be clear there is no child sex childhood sexual childhood sexual adult uh assault. Wow, i keep saying childhood assault. sexual assault the sexual I got assault you, brother there is it, there is it. none of that here, but uh, the way that I'm going to say this, yes, it, it may make people uncomfortable. The way that so, the way that we all know this, anyone listening to the shows knows this. What happens to these people at some point from somebody is trauma, like yeah. whether it is the alien trauma, actual aliens inflicting actual trauma whether it is a screen memory or not even a screen memory, because that's a term that in psychology would just be saying like repression. <laughs> you're just, you're, right. you're just exactly. repressing a, a real thing. No matter what your brain does not do this unless you are being traumatized. 
and you right. you cannot understand what is happening and your brain is trying to stitch together the disparate things that it cannot understand and create a narrative out of something that is actually potentially unrelated events unless yes. it actually is aliens and here's the thing guys i mean we're an hour and a half into this if it's not clear i think it it's might aliens. actually be a, like i think it could actually be in this one case actually aliens go ahead yes so at the age of 13 she recalls being on in, in this uh this subject abduction taking place under hypnosis and they asked her if she wanted to be pregnant of course she said no and they're like okay that's fine we'll deal with this later so years later 1951 we have that incident when Marissa was born in 1956. She recalled a very similar incident. And she believed that the aliens were kind of responsible for her birth in a way. But uh, it's it's never fully explored. But I get it. It's uh, because uh, the way in which she described it is that she did not feel a bond with Marissa when she was born. Like immediately, okay. she said it took years to establish the bond between the two of them, but it was, you know, very strong after that, the, you know, grew very strong. Okay. But now here's um, where my, here's where my Bible scholar brain kicks in. Yep. So they come to her and they ask her, do you want to be pregnant? And they're saying right. that to Helen, right? Just to be sure. Yes, at age 13. Age yes. 13. She says, no, she says, we'll come back later. That, to me, creates a type that you see all throughout the Bible, which is the chosen child motif. And it mm -hmm. finds its best fulfillment in Mary, who a force comes to her from outside of reality and says, would you like to be pregnant, basically? Right. And Mary says, whatever God wants me to do, I'll do. And that's weird. And like you, you have to really be in the system to understand that. So don't throw it away, right. I promise. But nonetheless, that's interesting. If mm -hmm. the type is, you should have answered yes, and she is answering no to the otherworldly force. And now she's saying, so when did she have Marissa, did you say? 1956. And so how old was she at that point? Helen, how old was Helen? Helen was 23? 23. So nine years, 10 years, 10 years later. Mm. 10 is a very obviously significant number for us who count in base 10, but also mm. it's a very significant number in mythology and religion. Maybe for the same reason, maybe not. Who's to say? Okay. The, yeah, this is really interesting stuff. Um in my weird Bible scholar brain. So sorry, keep going. In the weird, in his weird Bible scholar brain. Yes, but which remember, is. He, remember, folks, he has a college degree. So I don't want to hear anything. No, right I now. You feel free. Anything you want. You just send to my personal Twitter address. I'm here to talk about it. Uh, you yell at me. Um, I have two brains one is alien brain, one is Bible brain, and they get very mixed up sometimes. Mm hmm. So um, they would never see Rachel again. And 
We don't really know what happens to Rachel other than during a hypnosis session, Helen, um, while Jean was, you know, there, uh, the, the woman that did the regressive hypnosis was a, uh, doctor named Dr. June Steiner, I think. Okay. And Dr. Steiner, they, they wanted to try this thing where they would astrally project while using hypnosis. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. <laughs> and there was information that they brought forth through that, that, you know, is, is very questionable. Um, but I mean, like this whole thing is questionable. So, um, in the nineties, it, it was alleged that Harry is still alive. Rachel is not, and it was their belief that Rachel was murdered by the government. Wow. Damn. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, that's where it gets very grimdark. Yeah. Um, and in an interview that Helen did, um, she said that she believed, because uh, she believed that she was there when it happened or something like that, but... The way in which the government allegedly did this is like, I, I'm not even going to say it because it's just like, yeah, yeah, no, no we're like, not why would you, why would you do that? But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's alleged that she died, but like she appeared to Helen mm. in, in the form of a very strange looking bird at times. Okay. Like, like what this did bird the beard, would have, what did it look like? Yeah. It was a very kind of weird looking bird. It kind of had some of the features that she had. Like it had a tail made of um, uh, hair that that uh, Rachel had on her head. So like uh, she had very like thin, wispy hair uh, that was allegedly red. But um, she would see this bird that kind of had this like weird look to it. What was its major color? What was its body color? I remember. can't remember exactly. Okay. It might have been green. It might it might have been something Green would something make sense because of her dazzling right. green eyes. Right. Okay. But uh, she, she said she saw this bird a couple of times, so she assumed that it was Rachel that appeared to her. Um, on December, what is it? December 7th, 1990, Marissa passed away. December 7th, you- 1990, due to... Uh, diabetes okay the diabetes okay yeah so she has passed um and unfortunately uh helen luttrell herself passed on april 18th 2022 okay okay april 18th 2022 yeah so this just happened yeah this she yeah yeah this this did just happen you know like a month ago and she was 90 years old. Wow. She was, yeah, and her obituary is is brief, but it's it was written by someone, you know, who who loved her very much, you could tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it and it says that, you know, writing Rachel's eyes was one of the highlights of her life. Mhm. And she also loved to knit hats for um, you know, organizations that were helping people that were battling cancer. And um, in that obituary, we know what Marissa's real name is. And I, I have no yeah. problem sharing it here because oh, okay. uh, Marissa's, Marissa's real name is Sharon. Sharon. Sharon okay. Luttrell. 
Sharon Latrell. Um, and she, Helen, had also two sons, one of whom lives in the Philippines. Um, okay. The other lives in the United States. But uh, yeah. Um, I don't want to go too deep into the psychoanalysis, but I would like to, to mm-hmm. talk through some of it with you. Is that okay? Yep. And I yep. don't want to go too deep, not because I don't trust psychoanalysis. I totally do, obviously. But mainly just out of a concern for the dead. You know, I just, I hate to sit here and say like, oh, well, this is what I'm seeing and it means this and it means that. I don't know anything. I'm just a dude. But when I read her interview, when I read the hypnosis and guys where I'm getting this one from specifically is the MUFON Journal of October 2004, number 438. And when you're reading this stuff under the Rachel's Eyes tag, if you just go through this, let me just kind of talk through it. So um, Helen says that Rachel doesn't, she starts by saying she she seems like a funny looking, looking person, then says, but she doesn't seem like a person at all. I can't stare at her because it's not polite. I'm staring. I'm not acting right. I don't know what Rachel thinks, but I don't care what she thinks. I'm afraid of her. I know she's not going to do me any harm, but it's not a real person. She's just not right. She sounds Mm -hmm. like a machine. It's how her voice speaks so mechanical. Those are those things that we were already talking about. But the stuff yep. before that, what I just read is is really just quotes that I've strung together. So I'm totally just stringing these together to create my own narrative. But what that narrative is saying to me is I knew that Rachel was her daughter. I knew that Rachel was Helen's daughter because I knew that everything she's talking about here is actually Marissa. Like... Mm-hmm. She has, this is my take, I'm probably wrong. She has a daughter that she does not feel equipped to handle, to to mm-hmm. to live with, to provide for. She doesn't, I mean, if you just keep looking, she didn't try to catch herself. She, uh, at one point she says, Helen says that I didn't want to touch her head. She doesn't have any eyelids. Her eyes took up the whole socket. Like, the whole thing is all centered on Marissa's or on eyes. And then of course, Marissa is blind to me. Mm. I see this very, very clearly as saying, this is a woman who does it say that Marissa was blind from birth at any point? No, not from birth. Okay. It was it was through the you know the development of diabetes. It was through the development uh, but, uh, but, of diabetes. Yeah, okay. but it was very young. She she developed the, like the the particular form of diabetes is one in which you have to manage really well. Okay. Otherwise, it will kill. Otherwise, you. it will kill you. And it did. And it, it pretty killed much her. did. Yeah. And so we have no reason to believe that that's not what happened. Obviously, it it mm-hmm. makes complete sense. I'm just saying that I think that she probably from a very early point because of the fetal imagery, because of all of that, it all leads me to believe in its own ways to saying that this is this was the highlight of her life because in a way it was a 
spiritual autobiography of her coming to understand her daughter and her relation with mm -hmm. her daughter. Now, no. all of that aside, Rob, give me the corroborating evidence because okay. if you can, it means everything I just said is just psychoanalysis bullshit. It means I just brought it all up if there is real corroborating evidence. So I got to hear it. What do you got? So, you know, there in, in the book, there are interviews with people, um, you know, classmates that uh, had classes with Rachel. You know, they, they had statements. But the one thing that Helen really hung everything on was a letter that she received from Lost River Community College. Okay. Because she asked the, you know, she asked the admissions people and stuff okay. for paperwork yeah. to see if she was real, you know, right. to see if she really enrolled there. Which is so important because when she's sitting here saying, I trust this lady, I trust her so much. Mm -hmm. But when she's sitting here saying, oh, well, her classmate said this, her classmate said that, it's like, can you prove she had classmates? Can right. you prove she was real at all? Right. And in the letter that she received, she, the, um, I, I think it might have been like the dean of admissions or something like that, who was still, who was the dean of admissions back then, mm. said, yes, we did have a student here with that name. Okay. Okay. And it was the name, it, 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 it was the name with the last name that the, that the current had been given. Okay. We do know, uh, according to her, and because she had friends in the military, like that that she knew because she she did work for the military for okay. a period of time that this colonel was real okay and like did have you know was stationed there for a period of time it's not the most concrete evidence but um but for anyone who's listening to this and is like I don't know if I believe this or not i mean if you want to do your own research Start by finding mm -hmm. for yourself if that guy was a colonel. Find right. find that guy first. And that's, Rob, I think what you've done so well with this episode is I think you really set it up so that if anyone wants to, they can go back through it. If they're as compelled by this as I am, and I'm literally probably saying out loud that I will go back through this and start corroborating my own things because it is that <laughs> – it is that kind of case. It's the kind of case mm -hmm. that grabs you, that says it all makes, you said it, there's this sort of logic to it that mm -hmm. gives you comfort. Why does yeah. it give me comfort though? That's what I have to ask. And so if I can, if anyone can prove without a doubt that this guy was a real guy, and I mean military records, I mean anything, it should be easy. If you can do that, then you can you can take the steps from there. Personally, I pretty much trust Rob and and Helen that it's that this guy at least exists. But that is a heck of a of a place to start. So sorry, I didn't mean to get all no philosophical no. there. But that's that's the thing of it is like the logic that that's put forth by this book is comforting in many mm -hmm. ways, mm -hmm. especially when you, because like most. I think most conspiratorial alien stories are they're depressing, they're mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they don't have hope in them, they don't they're not kind. But this is a kind 
story. There's kindness all along the route of the story. And, and that's what, you know, makes it stick out. When you read the book and you read like that first half of the book, you kind of want it to be real. Mm-hmm. And that's my experience, you mm-hmm. know, like like because and and it's not because I want to believe that alien human hybrids are real or anything like that but like that we as human beings can show compassion to some to to a a a person and i will say a person who is not from earth yeah and 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 try and give them a life that's why you want to believe in this book that's why you want to believe in in everything that you know Helen comes forth with and and, and writes and Helen beautifully writes the story mm-hmm. you know she's written medical textbooks and stuff and and I think that's that's what this book brings to the table is it brings a level of heart that is never in most stories and never in most you know, any kind of alien stories, really. A level of heart, a level of coherence, even to say, I am certain that if we could ask Helen right now, she would say something along the lines of, I really don't care what anybody else thinks. I did Mm -hmm. this for me. I did this because I had this experience that I didn't do this to prove anything to anybody. And that to me, if I'm correct about that, if I'm correct about that, that to me is just one more thing that makes this whole thing just stink of real, not stink of fake. Mm-hmm. I We've been on this stuff for so long, man, I can mm-hmm. smell it. And right. this smells different. And it's uh, I'm so glad that you wanted me to come here and talk about it. it it's such a case. It's really such a case. Yeah. I like what you said. I like that no matter what, this story, true or false, this story can be a founding myth of the future. This story can literally be something that people in 200 years, if it gets, who knows what they're doing in 200 years? Who knows if there's aliens? Who knows if there's not? Who knows if if anyone remembers me and Rob? Who knows if they don't? Who knows if anyone remembers Rachel? But if they do, and this story can be passed on, Regardless of if it's true, it testifies to the truth, which is Mm -hmm. mankind can be kind. Mankind can transcend itself to show kindness to that which is unbelievably different. And what is unbelievably different from mankind? Another kind of man. (laughs) You are unbelievably different from me. I am unbelievably different from you. This story says, who gives a shit? He's a person, isn't he? Rob, that's why you were right. A person. Rachel, real or fake or whatever, is a person. And that's why this story is so compelling. That's why this story is so good, dude. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to leave it on anything... All I'll say is sometimes it takes a deep underground military base to raise an alien human hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) That was good. That was good. Uh, So, Sam, 
thank you so much for coming Dude, on. And, and, no, and like, thank you. This is so damn great. You have oh, given me yet another thing. There's a couple things that I really, when 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 I lose the faith, when I start to say, you know what, everything can be explained through science and re- and reason. There are a few things when I lose that faith in aliens that bring it back, and it is literally this story and uh, the aerial UFO landing in South or in uh, it was South Africa, I think. Um, yeah, South. Uh, uh, no, Zimbabwe. 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 Thank you. This story ranks on that story for me, and I don't know of any other story that I believe as much as that story. So thank you for giving me this gift of this freaking story, man. It's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. So uh, if if people want to bug you on the internet yeah. about this story and, about this and your story, philosophies. My philosophy, <laughs> the Blessed Virgin Mary, whatever you want to talk to me about, I'm open. And I am at... Um, the best way to get a hold of me is probably through the not alone, uh, account just because I check every message that comes in there. I really don't check everyone that comes into my personal account. I think we can all probably understand why there. Cause, uh, mm-hmm. does anybody check all of their <laughs> DMS? Hopefully not. Feel free to screen no. them guys. You don't have to interact <laughs> with everything. Uh, so yeah, that is not alone pod on Twitter. And, uh, as Rob alluded to earlier, we have an excellent, uh, episode on synchronicities. We haven't recorded it yet, but I or researched it, but I know it will be excellent, and uh, <laughs> it'll be coming out uh, the beginning of July, probably. Um, yeah, and I'd love to see you guys there. You let me know what I, if if I messed up on this, you tell me. If I was right on this, you tell me. I literally don't know anything if nobody tells me anything. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and feel free uh, to give Jason some love over too. He's at Mighty Moit. Uh he doesn't get on Twitter. He will not read any message sent to him. Uh no. but you give him all the love none the same. Yes, absolutely. Uh and as for the Our Strange Guys podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. And if you'd like to help us out, please leave us a rating and review. And uh if you haven't why What's haven't you wrong done it with for, you? Yeah. Why haven't you done it for not alone? Because like, well, if you have not go gone and listened well, to the back catalog of episodes, you are totally missing out. Like you need to go back and you need to listen to not alone because it I have mainlined every single episode of not alone at least twice now. Stop. And <laughs> no. no. And it and it has been it is Holy it's shit. one of the joys that I've I've uh, ever consumed in podcasting form. So you are go such listen a joy. To Not alone. Thank you, Rob. Uh, oh, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to support us monetarily, patreoncom slash guy. Three dollars a month uh, will get you bonus content. I promise. I am working on it. I I got really behind last month, but. You'll be getting a couple of bonus episodes this month uh, later on. But uh, uh, also special thank you to Floats for the use of uh, their song UFO as our theme song. Special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our dope logo and to the great Desdemona for our T-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or at a deep underground military base in Nevada. In gray, we trust. I saw you in the summer in New Mexico on the
Media.